0: hello you're listening to sarah archer in episode 273 of the speaking club podcast i want to start this show with a quote from the disabled tennis player roger crawford being challenged in life is inevitable being defeated is optional i started this podcast for two reasons because i want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey! Hey! How are you? I'm very well. Bit of a cold, actually. I think it's just a cold. You don't know these days, do you? Is it COVID? Is it a cold? It's just a cold, actually. I haven't got any other symptoms. Just a little bit of a... You can hear it in my voice, I think. Anyway, enough of colds and that sort of stuff. I hope you've been busy getting out there, getting speaking. I have been spending a bit of time putting a brand new workshop together. And the stuff that I'm going to be teaching and coaching on, I learned that stuff originally from when I did stand-up comedy. I and mean, I still do the odd gig these days, but most of the time I put the comedy in the plays I write. But if you don't know, you probably do have an inkling. Stand-up comedy can be absolutely brutal for those that don't engage the audience. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, it's absolutely true that any time you're performing in front of an audience, either as a speaker, an actor or comedian. The crowd really wants you to do well. I say crowd. Uh, When you're performing at Edinburgh Fringe, (laughs) the average audience size is just six people. Anyway, my point is that the audience are with you. At least they are for a few minutes. This never hit home harder to me than when I was booked to do gong shows. Now, a gong show in comedy is where the audience can vote you off at any time if they don't like your act. And when that happens, when they vote you off, the audience bangs, the uh, sorry, the MC bangs the gong and you boot it off. So if you don't get the audience on side and in comedy, they're actually a little bit less patient, probably within a minute, then there's every chance that you'll get gonged off. And uh, I think maybe it happened once to me um, and it was an awful feeling. But do you know what? It made sure that I went up there next time I did one of those shows with stronger opening gags. And for comedy, a strong opening gag means a joke that bonds you with the audience and makes them laugh. That's why comedians put their strongest material at the start and end of their set. Now, when it comes to speaking, audiences are a little bit more patient. Maybe you'll get three minutes to make an impression. Obviously, if you don't manage it, then you won't get gonged off, but you will lose their attention. The opportunity to bring them into your world and you'll likely miss out on bookings for future gigs. Because I found certainly with the people that I work with, if you do a great gig, that is a really quick way to get future gigs. Anyway over the years I've seen speakers make all sorts of mistakes at the start of their talk and the truth is that grabbing your audience's attention in the right way or hooking them in as I call it is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for a successful talk and that's why one of the big things I work on with my clients is what I call hookology and that's the art and science of captivating your audience and that's what the new workshop is all about. And if you fancy joining me on that, not only will you learn the art and science of ecology, but you'll also get to nail the start and end of your talk and you'll walk away with a magnetic talk title and knowing how to make your content captivating to an audience. So if you fancy that, if you'd like to join me, then you can go and find out more and book your spot at saraharcher.co.uk slash hookology spelled h-o-o-k-o-l-o-g-y it'd be great to see you there love to work with you but enough of that let's talk about today's show I'm really excited for you to meet Jamie McCanch, who has a huge story to share can you imagine waking up paralyzed and no one has any clue why Well that's what happened to Jamie in 2014 and it turned his life upside down. He lost his job and his independence but he was determined to forge a new path and purpose for his life and that included becoming a top disabled athlete and fulfilling his dream of climbing Mount Everest in 2022. He also set up what is now a global business network called Cino Bounds with his wife, Charlotte, who you'll hear a bit more about in our chat. And today he divides his time between speaking all over the world on various topics and building the Cino Bounds global business community. I'm really looking forward to this show. You're going to get some brilliant insights in what it takes to keep going even when your life and world collapses around you, not just once, but again and again. And you're also going to get some fantastic tips from Jamie around how he prepares for his speaking, how he does his speaking and how he built his speaking career. Now, I need to let you know before we switch over to the interview that there is mention of suicidal thoughts. So if this is a trigger to you, please think carefully before you carry on. Okay, let's start the interview. Welcome to The Speaking Club, Jamie McAnch.
1: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good day. It's depending on where you are, I guess.
0: On the cusp, isn't it, for us here, just creeped into the afternoon, but uh, on a Monday. So there we go. And things we were just saying how things have changed in the UK. It's got colder. We're into autumn fully now, unfortunately. The
1: leaves are beginning to drop. Uh, The temperature's beginning to drop. Yeah, we've got lots of different different colours. Though it is a different time of the year as well, right? So you've got different colours. You've got that kind of warm. You don't. I don't mind it being cold as long as I can get warm. When yeah. I can, you know, when I can get warm somewhere. I don't mind mm-hmm. it being cold outside so much.
0: Exactly, but we we'll let we're typically British thing of talking about the weather. But that, enough about the weather. Let's shift into the to the good stuff here. So um, I'm gonna go sh- straight at it you woke up paralysed in 2014. Yeah. How would you describe your life before that point if, in terms of what you were doing and all sorts of stuff?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting really. So I was, I was working um, as everybody else does, you know, there was no real change around that. I was selling motorcycles, uh, which obviously waking up paralysed then had its own challenges. Um, no one wants to buy a motorbike from the guys just woke up paralysed. You know, no one wants to buy a motorbike from the guy in a wheelchair. It's as Fairly as simple as that. It's you know bad for publicity. So you know, but my life in general was okay. I was very sporty. I loved running. Um, so marathon running was a big part of my life. Um, hill walking and, and outdoor um, adventure was a big part of my life. So those things were were, were always there. Um, I was married at the time. Uh, had a, you know, had, we had our own home. I had you know, motorbikes was a massive hobby of mine literally whenever the weather was dry I was out on a bike um, whenever the weather was not so dry I was pretty much out on a bike you know so life was very much around that and it was very much around you know just getting out there and just doing stuff rather than being confined to a life that then happened sort of after the paralysis so um yeah it was a straight it was a strange transition uh not to say the least but yeah be- before all of that, I was a fairly active guy. Um and, and living a fairly active life.
0: So you did wake up in 2014. Yeah. Paralyzed. Can you I mean, you've probably done this loads, I know, but literally what what did you think when you woke up? I mean
1: So I had shingles in 2013 and then November 2013, and that was the the reason for everything. Uh, although it took time to find that out, but um, and I do, I think it's a really good point to sort of bring out that what happened to me, even though it happens, it is quite rare. OK, so anyone listening in who's ever had shingles, not, you know, you're not necessarily going to wake up paralyzed tomorrow. OK, um, so I think it's really important to say that. But I so I had shingles in the 2013 and I, I took all the tablets and the lotions and the potions and powders and I had all of this stuff that was kind of supporting that. Uh, and effectively, I got over it. And then I went to bed on the sixth of January. Uh, something happened in my sleep, uh, and when I woke up on the seventh, I would ruptured my spine, and I was incompletely paralyzed from the waist down. Now that, at first, I thought I just trapped a nerve. I didn't. It wasn't a stage of panic, because you only panic when you know what's going on, right? Like you only panic when you kind of go and you look down and your legs aren't there. That would have triggered panic. But because I woke up and I was just in pain and my legs were numb and I felt like, a, you know, I felt like they were like pins and needles. So it wasn't really a stage of panic at the time. It was just like, oh, something's not right. Um, and 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 so the, but the, the, the transition move from that to something's not right and it's not getting any better to something's not right. It's not getting any better. No one knows what's going on no one can explain to me why this has happened then it was you know something's not right it's not getting any better I don't really know what's happening no one is supporting me um yeah. as uh, in the in the whole medical world you know like everyone was trying to tell me that you know they'll, they, they're, they're trying to find the problem they're trying to resolve the problem but no one's actually stopped for five minutes and said right Jamie this is where we are now um you know we need to figure out a way of getting you living your life until we find the problem. Uh, none of that kind of happened, so there was there was zero support from that aspect. So I was literally just getting sucked into this darker, darker space where I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand what was happening to me. No one was really explaining it to me, um, and no one really knew. So it went from being it went from something that was quite significant to something that gradually got worse and worse. And actually there was never a panic moment in all of that. There was a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, um, a lot of worry, but never a panic moment. They, it, and that's really hard to kind of get across people. But I genuinely thought I had a trap nerve up until the point where they told me I did not have a trap nerve. And yeah. they were like, well, let's try this. And then it was like, oh, okay, maybe I've got that then. And then it was like, no, that's come back negative. We're gonna try this. Oh, okay, well, maybe that's it and that is how it happened stage by stage by stage until eventually i got diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome
0: and that's that's from the cuz i've never heard of it before but as you said it's is it a, it's a complication of shingles that's very rare yes that so most people wouldn't have heard of
1: yeah so crps um is it, it, there's two different types of crps there's type 1 type 2 so the one type you get after an injury and the other type you get after a virus um it's, it's a very misunderstood uh, condition within the neurological um, practice. Uh, I was actually doing a talk recently in front of 420 doctors, and only three of them had ever heard of CRPS. Wow. And yet, yeah, it's really common. Uh, and it's also, it can be, um, it can actually be turned around if diagnosed in court early enough. However, for me, it was nearly 13 months. So that that time had lapsed. Uh, But unfortunately with CRPS, it's very misunderstood. Uh, There's not a great deal of knowledge around it. Um, Neurologists um, have been known to call it a fake illness. Um, And they they call it that because they don't know, they don't have the answers. So they just dismiss it, Uh, which is a big problem with people who live with CRPS. It's it's a big problem that CRPS organizations have is is getting the medical um, sector to kind of go? Okay, this is something that's happening. It's a problem. Um, what's causing the problem? Mm. And it's nerve. It's, it's majority of the time is nerve damage of some description, uh, or it's hypersensitivity to nerve. If there's lots of different reasons, uh, when it comes into the pain threshold, it sits higher than childbirth um, and amputation without anesthetic sits higher than both of those categories on the pain spectrum. So it's a very serious illness. Um, a lot of people that have CRPS will lose a limb within the uh, first four to five years, uh, which is just common. Uh, it's not it's not necessarily a science. It's just that is common. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people will lose complete dexterity in that limb within a period of time as well. So, you know, there's lots of serious complications around the condition. Um, but unfortunately, it is still very very misunderstood unfortunately
0: And i mean how does it manifest in your life today because you were at that point paralyzed yeah how have things changed or have they changed in terms of what you're able to do today
1: yes so um so i'm i've always been very active i've always kind of strived to be active um and so and i actually notice um quite significantly actually that if I if I'm not active the condition gets worse and I've noticed that so and that but I've noticed that within myself uh, so I've always been quite active uh, I've always been very open-minded to um, holistic therapies and complementary therapies so things like sports massage um, I use a tens machine um, I have hydrotherapy I've got a, I, I have a lot of therapies that that I pay privately for because it's still not recognized through the NHS. So I do a lot of my, you know, I do a lot of work privately in order to um, invest in my own health, which I think is very, very important. So, and and through those, that investment, through that hard work and that dedication, you know, I have now got to a point where I can walk, um, albeit uh, it's limited to timeframes. Um, however, I can walk on crutches. So I do. I use crutches. I've got a wheelchair. I use my wheelchair when I, when I when I can or when I want to. So I have choices now where I never had those before. Um, so I can choose whether I walk now or whether I use my chair. Uh, and I think that's really important because if I use my chair and I'm going on a long day, so I'm going to a museum, for example, I'll use my wheelchair because why suffer? Why suffer in silence when you can enjoy the whole of the day and not have to suffer about it? Um, but if I can use my crutches for, for whatever reason, I'll use them around my workplace and around my home. I tend not to use crutches. I tend to just walk, um, but they're only short distances for short periods of time. So if I have to do anything extensively, then I use my crutches. So I'm in a really, co- really privileged position where I get to be able to choose what aids I use at what time in order to get the best value and quality out of my life.
0: And and just, I mean, it's interesting that you talked about the alternative um, therapies and things that you use. Without those, do you think that you would be almost back at square one?
1: Yes, um, I would basically be living solely on pain medication, uh, which, you know, has its place and I get that. Mm. But if you, you know, pain medication, your body will eventually get used to it, mm. in which case then all that happens is the dosage gets upped. Yeah. And once they're at the maximum dosage of that particular me- pain medication, they give you another one, um, and the process starts all over again. Uh, I was on gabapentin for a while. Um, one of the side effects of gabapentin was headaches and nosebleeds, um, so I I did come off those. Uh, and and I and I do use pain medication, uh, but not as I should be taking up to sixteen thousand milligrams of pain medication a day. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um And I treat it a lot with massage um and I use a massage gun, and I use that a lot as well so i use I, I do use any alternative medicine or therapy that I can
2: mm-hmm. and
1: massage to me is a medicine um yeah. and I use whatever i whatever's at my disposal to basically like I said live the the, the best life I can live without having to be completely reliant on drugs.
0: And that's that's really interesting. So, I mean, essentially, even though you've got those choices now, you you are, you know, you I was going to say you had a funeral for your able body in 2015. And was that for you, like acceptance and sort of surrender so that you could move forward?
1: Yeah, I mean. I'm not sure necessarily surrender, I think more um, taking on and. like, okay, so let me put it in perspective with you, right? So I could climb, as an able-bodied man, I could climb Penny Van in 45 minutes. I could probably have a cup of tea at the top, have my photos taken and still get back down to the car park. As a disabled man in a wheelchair, when I became the, the, the first person ever to manually self propel up that mountain, I did it in four and a half hours, right? Now, I'll never be able to do it in 45 minutes again. Even if I do it tomorrow on crutches, I'll still never be able to do it in 45 minutes. You don't have to wake up paralyzed to have a life-changing experience. You could wake up redundant from your job mm. or you could end up divorced or break down over a long-term relationship. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what that scenario is. When that happens, you lose a piece of yourself. Um, and I've been divorced as well. And, and so, and I know how that feels. So when I decided to move on, I, I realized I had to let go of the past and the only way you can let to move on is if you let go of the past. Mm. Otherwise, the past will just hang you down. It'll drag you back, and and it won't allow you to to become the best version of yourself. So when I decided to have that funeral, it wasn't a big deal. I didn't take loads of friends and you know hire a church. I literally just went off with myself, some pictures, memories, you know, memorabilia of my able body time, and I took a bucket. And and I looked at those photos. I mourned that those memories. I remembered them and I let them go, and and I laid that part of my life to rest. And that could happen in many different ways, you know. And you 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 hear people that have got divorced and then they burn all of their stuff. That's basically what they do. And they just cremated their marriage. Mm. Um, and it's no different. What I was doing was obviously a lot more personal. But I wanted to embrace who I was. And by doing that, I had to accept who I was. Mm. By accepting who I was now, not who I used to be, meant that I could then fully embrace that life. Uh, And that's exactly what I did. And and it worked. And, you know, it is, I often now, when people say to me, like, you know, how did you move on? I say, well, I let go. It's Mm. simple as that. And this is how I did it. Yes, it sounds dramatic, but it's not really. It was just me taking a moment out to really think about where I was, where I was going, who I was, how I was doing it, and then doing it my way. And I think that's the difference.
0: And I think that that is the pathway to to, to happen. loving what is, accepting what is, so that you can then be empowered in control and and move forward. I think that that was a brilliant thing that you did. And you know what and I think this having read up about you've seen what you've done and achieved, since this happened i feel that this will resonate with you because it is often the way that when people have had a life-changing illness or accident they will consider it a blessing and how does that resonate with you is there something there that you identify with
1: um yeah i mean i don't know I, i i know where you're coming from on this and and i i agree and disagree uh i certainly don't find the pain level i'm in a blessing and I'm, I'm sure that many people out there wouldn't but i tell you what it did give me was a value of life and i and that value of life has been a blessing um because i took so much for granted beforehand and and i think i think it's a it's, it's a difficult subject to touch on you know because for some people they'll say to me you know uh, you know people say to me when I, when I talk about being disabled, they go, oh, I'm really, really sorry to hear that. And I'm like, why? Why are you sorry to hear it? And they, and they don't know how to answer the question. And the truth of the matter is they're saying they're sorry because that's what's meant to be said. Mm-hmm. The truth is though, since I've become disabled, I've probably lived more of a life than I ever did as an able-bodied person. So it is a, it's a difficult one. And, and, and for me, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a blessing, but I think what has changed in my life is my outlook on life
2: mm.
1: um, and my you know let's go and do this kind of approach to things and I think that has been a blessing the things that I've achieved over that period is a lot down to determination and, and I think what happens when someone becomes disabled on not all the time but on certainly in some cases is people become more determined Mm-hmm. And, and i think that's what happens when when you have a life-changing experience you realize the value of immortality and that's certainly what's happened with me and and i know what's going to kill me crps will eventually be my demise i know that i'm i'm cool with that now um it's taking time to come to terms with it but what i have got is a value of every day and a value of my life and and if you know this is if this is the card that i've been dealt with i'm, I'm certainly going to play the game my way Mm. That has certainly made me more determined, and mm. I think that's definitely come from it. So, blessing potentially is a strong word. Uh, determined, definitely, um, more proactive, definitely, and and more appreciative in abundance, definitely.
0: Was fascinating to me. What I really want to know as well is, so you you'd, you'd had that funeral, you'd come to this place of acceptance. Uh, for what was you know for where you were and then the universe comes and slaps you in the face again I don't where were you on that journey when you got diagnosed with cancer because and that's not the only thing when I read up on this I was like blimey give the bloke a break because you had cancer then your mum got cancer while you were living with her for her to look after you
2: yeah
0: And, and then your brother was also ill at the same time yeah, I mean, yeah. did yeah, you have exactly. any sort of backward steps at that point? Where you're like, "Oh my goodness, what you know, what's going on?"
1: You don't have time. Um, I was going through a divorce at the time,
0: as well. Um,
1: I was going through bankruptcy at the time. Then I was going through chemo. Then my mum, and she was going through her treatment. Uh, then my brother had a couple of heart attacks, and then he was obviously, you know going through what he was going through. Um, and we all kind of siloed. Like my brother and his wife were dealing with that. Uh, me and my mum was dealing with what was going on in our home. Um, you don't have time to think about it. You just generally don't. And, you know, you you only really dwell on things if you give yourself time to think about it. And I didn't have that. So, you know, it was a hectic time. It was a busy time. You can't write 2017. You know, it, it, it is what it was. Um, it made me and my mum very close. Uh, we've We've created a bond that, you know, I don't think any mother and son should have to have. But... It is certainly one that will, that we will hold strong for the rest of our lives. Um, we were looking after each other. We were, we were, I was looking after my mum, which is exactly what I should be doing, and my mum was looking after me, which is exactly what she should be doing. So we didn't really have time to kind of think, oh my god, like I can't believe all this is happening to us. Don't get me wrong, when I was, you know, throwing up green, um, I often thought to myself, Jesus, what do I ever do to deserve this? Um but then you 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 get over that and then you go to bed and, and you sleep it off and then you wake up the next day and you battle through that day. And it's not until many, many like months, days, years, weeks, whatever, that you sit back and you kind of go, Wow, wow. I mean, 2017 is a long time ago now, you know, and a lot of waters crossed under the bridges then. And that's not including the world pandemic and all that mm-hmm. time, you know. So you kind of think. A lot of it you just deal with at the time that you're dealing with it.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then you sit back and think about it, you know, a long time afterwards. When you kind of go, "How the hell did we ever get through that?" Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, you you got you get through it one day at a time. And you know, it's no different to someone who wakes up one day and has a child, and all of a sudden, you know, they've got two children, then three children, and their house has been turned into, you know, chaos. And they may as well have the Avengers running through the house. And then you kind of sit back at like when, you, you know, when you're 50 or 60 and you kind of go, I don't know how the hell I cope through that time. It's no different. It is no different. Right. You do it because you do it day by day and you take the blessings when the blessings come and you deal with the traumas when the traumas come. And that's life. That is just life. And if you allow it to soak you up, you'll never, ever move past day one.
0: Excellent. Well, <laughs> you could definitely resilient must be tattooed throughout your core by now but blimey so i mean you've talked about some of the the lessons that you've learned from the adversity so if you could sum those up i mean taking every day at a time is that feels like a big one
1: yeah i i do try to take it i don't try to worry to i mean it's difficult when you're in a business because you've got to be thinking you know 30 days ahead 60 days ahead 90 days ahead three years ahead five years ahead you constantly got to have that kind of motion but in life in general I generally don't plan what I'm doing next week um because I just worry about what I got to do this week and I look at my diary and go okay I have got to do that and if, if I need to be in London because I do a lot of talks you know I I just plan that into my day and 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 that's just part of my daily life and you know I'm very and I always look at myself and go it's not a bad way to earn a living you know doing what I'm doing and this is something else that just dis- that disability and my self-preservation and determination has actually created for me it's created a living there's no way on earth i'd be paid what i get paid an hour doing you know doing what i do now if i was working in a call center i wouldn't i wouldn't get paid a fraction of that so you know i'm very privileged to be able to have created a name for myself to create a brand for myself and to be able to do what i do and and part of that is about living in the now um, and being present with what's happening right now we all have our challenges you know charlotte at the moment is going through menopause, and that's throwing another massive challenge into our lives um, and people don't talk about menopause, and and they, they they just don't they dismiss it yet it's still it's right now it's happening it's a major part of our life it's a major part of our existence and we're having to work together in order to achieve and to get through that and to work through that the same way as CRPS, the same way as, you know, bills and the mortgage and everything else. It all that has to be happened. So I am now, I now have this ability to simplify things a little bit and try to decomplicate everything and just go, do you know what? Worse things have happened, right? <laughs> so,
2: you
1: know, you can, you can cope with it sometimes, but it does get too much at times, you know, and it's no secret. I, I wrote a blog recently where my mental health crashed in November last year and I found myself at my attic with my shotgun. Um, I put two cartridges in the barrel and I took the safety off and I shut my eyes and something sparked in my mind. And the first thing that came to mind was if I pulled this trigger, I'm going to be leaving a mess. And I didn't want to do that. And that was enough to trick me back into reality. And I rang a friend of mine and I said, Nay, I need you and he was straight around the house so I'm very privileged to have that so I'm not this walking talking positive machine I still suffer and live with my mental health and have to balance that as well and that takes a lot as well to kind of go Jay you're just struggling Um, and to respect it It all comes down to respect so I think if anything I've learned anything about myself over the last nine years of my life It's, it's about respect I've learned how to respect myself a little bit more um, even though sometimes I get that wrong, right. so you know I'm not important
0: right I mean you mentioned Charlotte, Charlotte uh, for those listening is your wife and I'm going to mention her in a little bit uh, yeah. when I ask a question that's coming up yeah. but it, I think the other thing I don't know this is something that's just occurred to me but having a support system is that important is that something yeah. you've learned because I'd imagine some of the things that you've achieved and perhaps you can share some of those things you haven't been able to do a hundred percent on your own
1: no, I haven't been able to do any of it on my own, um, and that's the truth of it. You know, I didn't learn how to walk on my own. Um, I didn't learn how to jump out of an aeroplane at fifteen thousand feet on my own. Um, I didn't climb Penny Ban and break a record on my own. I didn't summit. Yeah, you know, I didn't climb um, and and reach the uh, the the base camp Everest on my own. Nor did I summit Kailash on my own. Uh, you know, none of anything I've done. I've always done as a team of people because you need a team around you. And one of the things one of my um, probably one of my most negative traits mm-hmm. is when I struggle, I go into, I really withdraw and I go really quiet and and I disengage myself from everything. Main reason is I only want to talk about my problems when I'm ready to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I don't want it forced upon me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do tend to go a bit more recluse when when, when I've got stuff going on in my mind. That's always a struggle for me. Um, and, and yeah, you need that support network, but you need people to know and understand you. So you need a network of people around you that goes he's not just he's not disengaging himself from. he's taking time. Mm. And I've got some really good friends who are exactly the same. So when I don't speak to them for three months, they don't worry about it. When I do speak to them, it's like as if I was speaking to them yesterday. Mm. And that's, that, that is great value. Because I know that at any time I can pick the phone up and I can go, mate, do you fancy a brew, and you'll go yes, you know, and it's never any questions. Um, so you know, from that perspective, I'm very lucky and I feel very, very blessed. And those are the things that I've learned. Def, definitely, those are definitely things I've learned. And without that support network around me, I wouldn't be where I was today now. Anyway, that's that's inevitable. Um. I'm just very lucky that my support network that are around me understand me and I think that's the important bit to be there.
0: And I guess some of those things that are coming through may have filtered into the creation of Ceno Bounds. Can you tell me a bit more about that what it is when you started it why you started it uh, and what it is doing today?
1: Yeah, sure. There's a bit of a story to Sino Bounds actually. So I set up Sino Bounds. I woke up paralyzed, right? Uh, there was no support network for me. I didn't have a car accident or, you know, I didn't at the time, I didn't have, you know, a, a rare illness and ended up in, in a hospital with yeah. rehab. I didn't have any of that. I was, none of that was available to me. So when I, after my suicide attempt, I realized, and I'd found sport and I found a bit of a sporting network. I realized that actually, if I'd known about that earlier, I may have taken different life choices. So I created a community of people like me who had woken up paralyzed and didn't have a support network around them. And I created this community network. Then as time progressed and I started utilizing disability products and I started supporting disabled companies and companies that wanted to work within the disability community, I created this this kind of, um, almost like a hub of collaboration. Then it was also when I then became a motivational speaker. It was then also my motivational speaking platform, and it grew and progressed. And then it became a dropship company and a marketing company and, and everything. And it kind of grew into this little bit of a you know a community center, which is how we how we mapped it out. Then of course COVID happened, and when COVID happened, I had 153 emails of cancelled speaking work over a 24 hour. Uh, 24-month period, right? But it happened overnight, right? So literally overnight, my business has now become paralyzed, right? Mm -hmm. Then we went into lockdown. So we had stock that was stuck in China, the disability products. They couldn't get out of China. They couldn't land in the UK. So I had no stock and I had clients all over the UK. So now all of a sudden, my dropship company has woken up paralyzed. Then we went into Full-blown lockdown, and what actually happened at that time was the whole world became
2: mm.
1: paralysed because they couldn't go out anymore. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't do the, the, their daily routines. Their car on the driveway became pointless. Their workplace became unex- unaccessible. Everything that they had known had had been taken away from them, which is exactly what I went through in two thousand and fourteen so when when the business kind of collapsed if you like for the choice of a better word me and charlotte sat down and we said right what is it that the world needs and the world needed a community the world needed a place where they could be themselves away from social media because social media was just negative i mean the whole word positive became negative right so like if you were positive you were that was a negative thing because you were positive but if you were negative, that's okay, you haven't got COVID, that's a positive. Literally, the world got spun onto its axis. So when we set up, changed and pivoted to see bounds and opened it up to the wider audience, we already had all the elements that was needed. We just created a platform where people could positively talk about their services, proactively sell their products, proactively sell their ways. This couldn't happen on social media because small businesses were made to feel guilty because of 69,000 people had COVID today, 650 people have died today, 2,000 people have died today. And then all of a sudden you're popping up going, hey, do you want me to have a look at your accounts? It's just not gonna happen, right? So we created a space, a safe space. And that was the point. And we we created safe groups, safe places. We started broadcasting. We ran the US Festival, and that was 390 um, online events over three days. Right, it was absolutely mental. Facebook, Facebook contact, contacted us, and we're going to shut us down because we were basically just bombarding the world with all of these people that are going. I'm still in business, and I need help. Right, so then Cine about thats how Cinebound progressed. We the memberships went up. Um, we were kind of working with all of these people, and then obviously, eventually, the world opened back up. Uh, and we realised that there was still a space where we were, so we created Cino Bounds, uh, the network, get connected, and the idea of that, but, and it still sits, but every, uh, effectively, it still sits on the original concept today as it did back in two thousand and fourteen when I set it up. I set it up in two thousand and fourteen to help people survive. Mm i it is exactly the same, only now it's helping businesses survive. Mm. Uh, we run an inclusive network where, so we've got a disability network, we've got a men in business network, we're about to launch an Asian network. We've got Bristol, Cardiff, Singapore, London, Barnsley, Norwich. You know, we're expanding out. And the idea of it is, is to get people in a room where they can have a conversation. Then they can find out who they need to be connected with in order to build their network and grow. What kind of exposure are they looking for, whether it be a podcast or whether it be podcast guests? And what support do they need? You know, right now, I need support here. And then we get the network to step in and support. That's what we do. And so Sina Balancers never really, in all that time, ever really wavered from that simple ethos. To help people survive
0: oh i'm with you um yeah and we'll put a link in the show notes for people to go and check that out now this is the speaking club you've mentioned speaking yeah uh what made you start speaking about your experiences and can you remember your first gig
1: i do yeah i remember my first gig very very well actually it was at a primary school Um, uh, and i remember going in there was like hundreds of little kids tiny little kids and, and I remember I was in my wheelchair then and I brought all my paraphernalia with me and, and my chair and all of this stuff with me. Um, and I remember the kids coming in, they're all sat there like this. And I remember saying, has your teachers told you that you've got to be quiet? And they all went like this. And I said, that's not going to work well for me. And by the time I finished, I had these kids screaming at the top of their voice. And there wasn't a teacher in that room that was still the same colour when it was when I walked in. they were pale. Uh, so yes I remember that very very well Uh, it was just after I won the Charles Holland Award which kind of launched me into the speaking career because I was all over the news I was all over the telly I was all over the radio Um, and I'd been like thrown into this limelight of kind of limelight status, if you like and I didn't really know what that meant or how it looked and you know I was just some guy from who you know who was just doing what he had to do Um, and I loved it I remember that first gig and I came up buzzing like literally buzzing and I thought myself, that was a lot of fun like I could do more of that um and I did about 300 talks uh, in schools across the country free of charge um I was contacting schools and just go look I'd love to come in and talk to your, your, your young people about my experiences and they were like why much would you charge, or like I don't and I was just going in I was building up my experience speaking and then there was um then I started, then I got in with the agencies and and I had nothing from the agencies, like nothing at all. Right. And then I got involved with another organization called Big Ideas Wales. And they put me in front of schools and now colleges. So I've advanced from schools into colleges um, and universities and learning organizations. I was doing the same thing. And then I was going, I was being asked to come back and do assemblies and award evenings, and I was getting paid for that. And I was like, well, this is. This is all right. I'm actually getting money now. Um, and then I was asked to go back and do inset days with, with the teaching staff and, and all of that. And again, I was getting paid for it. And then um, and then I was asked to do my TED talk.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and by which point I was like, trying. I was, I was beginning to get a name out there. now. people were beginning to know who I was, but they were still finding me fascinating. So then I did the TED talk. I actually did it on my wedding day.
0: This is what I was going to say about Charlotte. <laughs> so,
1: if everyone dedication to the cause, okay, I'm pretty dedicated to what I do. Uh, so, I did that on my on on our on our official wedding day, all right. But we had a proper wedding day two days later, so we had all the ceremony and stuff yeah. on the Sunday. So it wasn't quite the same, um, but it always sounds good. So I did my TED talk, and that absolutely launched it because now all of a sudden the speaking agents. The first thing I did, I went I went around all the speaking agents and said, look, I'd like to be registered. Um, I think I've already got a profile, um, but I want to send you my TED Talk. And they were like, amazing, because now I've got video evidence of me actually being able to be a speaker. That was then going out there, and the work just has not stopped coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have quiet periods, so July and August are always a quiet period within the mm-hmm. speaking industry. Christmas, obviously. But any other time in the year... It's constant and um, and there's always something going on. It's always something happening. So, yeah, I'm very lucky now within the speaking world uh, and I love doing what I do. My profile is just getting better and better. So, yeah, I'm very privileged to be able to do it.
0: That's brilliant. And I, and I think given what's happened to you and even just thinking about some of the themes that we've already talked about this morning and some of the analogies that you've used To contrast what happened with you to things that happen to people in life yeah generally um how i mean how do you difficult do you find it to choose what to speak about or do you have do you have like a few different subjects how does that work for you
1: so i've got my i've got a couple of like sort of significant stories all right i mean you know i've got cancer i've got depression i've got mental health i've got you know the waking up paralyzed i've got the climbing everest and obviously Wheels to Everest is my main talk now. yeah. Um, And But then even that, I can pull in different aspects. I love to know about the company I'm working with. Mm. Because if they've got specific goals that they want to um, project out to their teams, then I can utilize my story and relate it to those goals. So a lot of what I will do is if they've got values, I'll always ask their core values for the company. And I can always bring those core values in to my talk and go you know this is this is why that value is so important yeah uh, let me tell you about leadership or um collaboration and and I got examples of that so I can kind of bring in different aspects i like to listen in for the, you know a little bit in on the company and find out a little bit about what that company is is all about um and i ask questions and then i bring those questions into my talk and answer them in layman's terms where the audience then has a significant example of what is being put over to them, and that always gets a lot of value, especially with my clients. Um, and so often, my clients will say, "Oh my god, like you've literally hit the nail on the head," and it's because I've done my research. It's all in it. Um, it's because I'm going right. Okay, so I, I can see what this company are trying to achieve here. Um, so I need to I need to channel my talk into this direction. So the talk generally is the same, but what changes is the way that I express it.
2: Mm.
1: And then something else that I always do as well, um, which a lot of motivational speakers don't do, uh, is I always hang around if I can. I'll always hang around for a bit afterwards and allow people to connect with me after that. And I always open myself up as well. And I always say to people, look, connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever. And I get daily, I get people messaging me, telling me that they have done something or achieved something because of something that I've said. Reason Fantastic. being is because I've engaged and I've managed to capture that audience because they were already engaging before I even opened my mouth. And the reason being is because I'm all I've done is just rekindled what they were talking about an hour ago or two hours ago and I've brought it into my talk and they've kind of gone, oh, right, okay, now that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's I don't necessarily look at it as I get on stage and do a talk anymore. I now get up on stage and I perform my story. And and in that performance, I will sing the songs that have been happening in that already established organisation. That's how I do it.
0: Absolutely. And I I think this is really something that's important for people to know. The thing that people need to understand is that there isn't just, you know, your story has so many different angles to it. So, you know, if you think about, a film your favorite film your favorite book one of my favorite films is jaws i don't know why it is but you know there's the whole thing about in, in business you know putting profit before people from shutting, you know there's all sorts of different angles that you can pull out of one story so your story like jamie's has got lots it's just being open to it and also connecting it with the client and with the audience that you're speaking to. That's that's really valuable what
2: you said.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, because everyone's got a story, Sarah. That that's the point, right? And absolutely. you know, I've seen I love action films. And I can use the same analogy in an action film. You know, you've got action hero loving living life. All of a sudden someone wants to kill him. Action hero then goes and kills the bad guy. Action hero lives happily ever after. It's the same storyline in every single one of the action stories every single one right um and yet we still watch them mm. right how many james bond films are there the storyline is exactly the same in every single james bond film right and yet we still watch them why because the way that it is to trans- transcribed changes
2: mm.
1: and that's that is actually what makes i think that is the difference between a speaker and someone who goes up on stage and talks yeah I would consider myself a speaker, I present it, I transcribe a story, I bring comedy into my talks, I drag the audience into what I've got to say, I perform in front of them, and I give energy into that story rather than just standing up there with a the mic. Yeah. You know? And and, I, and and I've heard a lot of speakers, and don't be wrong, they've all got stories, but my story is no different to anybody else who's woken up in my situation. What changes is what I've done with it, and and what changes is is how I've written that story, because I was the I was the the the, the author of my own pen, right? And I had the ability to go, oh, okay, I'm going to go and do this now, and I've written that down. Gone right, I've done that, and now I'm going to talk about it, and I'm going to tell people what I learned from it and how my experiences from that, and I'm actually going to share those experiences with those people. Mm. You can't, you could you some of that stuff can't be bought, right? No. But actually, the story is no different to anybody else who's ever found themselves in a life-changing situation, including having children.
2: Mm, absolutely. There's nothing more
1: life-changing than that, let me tell you. And that never goes away. You don't find a cure for child for parenthood, right? That stays with you until the day you die.
0: Yeah. As a mother of a 22 year old daughter, I know, I know all about that. Probably <laughs> I mean, I mean my mother. cool um excellent well I just want to just take a step back and then we're going to come back to something you've just said so you mentioned that you did TEDx talk yeah um can you tell me about that experience and that if there's any lessons that you learned about that either before do you know prepping for it during it after it that you could share with people around that so
1: the first thing I will share right is if you are looking to go into the speaking world, in any way, shape or form, do a TED Talk, right? Find out where your local TEDx is and apply and apply and apply and apply until you get accepted, all right? The other thing that I would, and I look at my TED Talk now to what how I do my talks now, they are a world apart, like literally, They are worlds apart. I mean, I look at my TED talk, my TEDx now, and I think of myself as an amateur, all right? Then I look at recordings of me doing talks, and I'm like, wow, I've stepped from amateur to professional, right? And they're worlds apart, but what my TEDx will always keep doing is getting me work, because my agents send them the TED talk. I've done talks with people, and they go, I've listened to your TED talk 15 times. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you need to get out more. But actually, what it means is that they've done their homework on me. They've sat there and they've listened to me. I am now the right person for their their company, their organization. They're taking out my personality, and that's what I've that is what I got from that. Um, it was an amazing experience. I did it on my wedding day, uh, as I said earlier. Um, you know there was there's a lot to be said for that. There was TV cameras. It gave me that kind of experience and exposure um, in that kind of more pressurized environment you know you've got the audience in front of you which i could do and then you've got the tv cameras which i've done put the two together and it's a whole different ball game um you're opening yourself up to external um comment Uh, i think i had like one negative comment on my thing which was great speaker i just wish he knew how to sit on his hands or something like that i I talk with my hands i I don't care like if you you know turn, turn the video off if you don't want to see my hands. So it, it gave me that as well, that experience. Um, Preparation-wise, I don't really prepare for anything. Okay, With that, I wrote down some bullet points and, and I got my story in my head and the bullet points I wanted to talk about and I got that over. Uh, that is something, there were people on the TED stage and they sit there with a the script and they talk out of it. Don't do it. It will go wrong. It, it will go wrong. You've got to know what you're doing. You've got to have it in your head if you don't have it in your head and you're reading off your script the second you lift your eyes up to engage with the audience you've lost your space and you've got to be able to engage with the audience if you can't look the audience in the eye they will not engage with you simple as that so those are definite things those are definite tips that i would say definitely do one and that would be a big one and then once you've got it use it all right Mm -hmm. it's a free software to do a 10 minute talk a 10 minute recording like that in front of a live stage by any videographer will cost you two to 3,000 pounds, right? If you do a TED talk, you get it for free. Mm. And that value go on the TED stage, then your name gets SEO'd, you know, make sure if you're going into a speaking world, make sure you own your own name. Mm. That's another big one, right? Own your own name, because the second you start getting out there, people are going to know you, not your business, all right? The Jamie McCann's motivational speaker, Jamie McCann's. Everyone knows Jamie McCann's. If I called myself something completely different, you know, like the man who climbed a mountain on his hands or you know, whatever, no one will know me. No one would find me, but they know me because they know my name. So okay. they those are the top tips that I would have. The actual talk itself was amazing. Um, and the prep work I did before, bear in mind I was planning a wedding at the same time. Um, all I did for that was I just got the I just got the show notes in my head. That's all I did.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cool. There's some good tips there. That's and and I did exactly the same with my like to get that quality of video is, is amazing. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, and it's a great experience, definitely. Cool, Um, okay, last question before we go into my standard questions. Um, You mentioned about uh, humour and storytelling. How, you know, how important are they in your talk, stories and humour?
1: Very, look, I, if I want to, if I want to go in a room and make someone cry, I would just let off a couple of CS gas tablets, right? Or I'd go and punch someone in the face. Or I'd sit there and insult someone, right? You—it's easy to make someone cry. Okay, my story is an emotional story. You know, there's there's loss, there's depression. There's there's a lot of stuff going on in my story, right? You know, there's nothing worse than than you know trying to trying to keep your mother alive on the living room floor whilst the ambulance, you know, but. I can sit there and go, oh my God, like my life is so tragic. And everyone walks out going, Yeah, life for him is tragic. Yeah, poor guy. Right? That's not really motivational, is it? All that is, is like, yeah, he's a bit of a tragedy case. But when people then walk out and go, oh my God, he had like the world and his dog thrown at him, and he's and he then turns up and is like, check out what I'm doing, they feel vibrant. So my job is not to go in there and tell them my story, because the truth of the matter is no one really cares about that. They want to come away with a value add. And that value add is something to remember. So I have make sure that I've got my message is very, very clear. And I say my message several times through my talks. I've got several kind of messages in there, but it's very, very clear what I say and what I talk about. Then the humor side of it brings them back into the room. So it's about taking them on a journey. You, you take them on, on the emotional downhill, and then you rocket them back up into comedy. Then through comedy, you're bringing them back into the emotional downhill. And then you're rocketing them back up into comedy again. And what you're doing is they don't know what's going to come next. So they are like, I I get people leaving the room and they'll say to me, do you know what? That was amazing. I didn't know whether to laugh at you or cry with you. And I go, well, did you do both? Yes. Then I'm successful. Because if they can laugh and look at the positive side of things, I can remember a story with my mum when when my mum had a brain tumor removed. And and she couldn't remember do anything. And, and I tell a story about her cleaning her teeth, and it's hilarious, all right? And I talk about it like with great comedy and great enthusiasm, and the room are crying with laughter. And this is about a woman who's struggling to clean her own teeth, right? You wouldn't think there was any comedy in there, but trust me, there was. And I used that comedy. Um, I I I crack jokes around my time through chemo and the storyline through that. Uh, And I make people laugh at that, laugh in the face of adversity. And that's the message. If, If I can stand up on stage in front of a thousand people and make them laugh in the face of adversity, then they'll be able to laugh in the face of their own adversity. And that's the point. So comedy is so important because otherwise you just get swallowed up in it. If you can't laugh at that moment, the only other option is to cry. And I refuse to do that. So that's why humor is so important because it brings home the reality, the, the the double-edged side of it. Let me tell you, right? There is nothing funny about anything to do with chemo, with cancer. It isn't. But if you can stand there and go, I had a bit of a laugh around it, you know, it's it's okay to laugh. And this is the problem. People go, Am I allowed? Am I allowed to laugh? Yes. Yes, because. Humor was designed to make us happy. You know, tears were designed to relieve emotion. If you can mm-hmm. release emotion and inject happiness all at the same time, like that's a winning, it's, a, it's almost a winning combination that I thrive in order to achieve. And hopefully I do. Uh, I keep getting asked back, so I'm going to assume I do. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's definitely. <laughs>
0: That's yes, you're, you're so right. It is about taking the audience on a journey. And, and I think there's a couple of things just to say here, which is, if you've been through a traumatic experience, and you're too close to it, it's going to be really difficult for you to find that emotion. So uh, there's, I'll put an episode link in the show notes to, you know, when you, sh- <laughs> how to get that distance, and when you should start using comedy, because I think that's, you know, that's an important point, you've got to get past it in order to be able to talk about it in a way uh, that's
2: humorous yeah
1: yeah absolutely. I mean look for some people it is still raw right and and I you know I um I I, I was at a talk recently and I was talking about my mum and I talk a lot about my mum my an amazing human you know, being and and I say this about my mum and she she came up to me afterwards and she burst in tears she said my father is currently very very ill and I was listening to you and the way that you're dealing with and the way that you've dealt with your mum's illness And I just hope that I can get to that place. Mm. And so it was giving them hope. I gave her hope that actually there's a place after this. There's a a place that you will find yourself, you know, a beautiful garden of memory where Mm. you will be after this, after that time, after that loss, after that grief. You'll get to a place where you can just sit and be Mm. and laugh about the funny memories that you have around that time. Um, And if we can do that, I mean, it. yeah, hope is something you, you, you can only give hope. You can't buy hope.
0: No, exactly. And then and one last little caveat around the comedy stuff. Jamie can talk about chemo. Jamie can talk about disability. Jamie can talk about all that stuff because he is that. Like there yeah. is a cardinal rule. You cannot make jokes about things that are not you. Like just, just little, little word of warning there. I'm sure you you guys know that, but, um, and I'll put a link to another, another show in the uh, show notes where some of this stuff I can uh, guide you through a bit more. Brilliant. Thank you so much. There's so much value that you've shared today around your journey and your speaking and see no bounds as well. Um, Before we wrap up and we can share where people can get hold of you, find out more. I have a few standard questions.
1: Awesome.
0: Um, the first one is, what is the best thing that speaking has done for you?
1: Um, connections. Uh, I've got a lot more connections uh, through speaking and I absolutely love it. So, and and travel. I get to travel now, uh, which is awesome. I, you know, I, I go to Portugal in a couple of days' time. So travel. Travel, connections. Yes. yes.
0: Okay, cool. Excellent. And... Is there been a gig that you that didn't go to plan that you're like, oh my god, I just want to forget about that one? Have you had <laughs> one of those?
1: Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, I, I did have a gig like that once, uh, and it didn't go to plan. Uh, it actually, yeah, it was a very tough, it was a very tough gig, uh, and I walked away and just went, yeah, that wasn't it. And actually, it wasn't my fault that it didn't go to plan either. They had an MC on before me, and he was horrific. Um, and literally uh, the MC just killed the audience. So by the time I then got up on stage, like it was like talking to a bunch of dead guinea pigs. Um, <laughs> and, and I came off stage and sat next to the, the organiser, and I was like, oh, my God, like that was hard. And she was like, I thought, considering, I thought you'd done amazing. Um, so that didn't go bad. Um, but I still gave it my all, and I put everything I had into it. And I had people, like, talking over the top of me and you know, there was, a, there was a table on the one corner and they didn't stop talking all the way through the gig. And I was just like, it's gone down like a lead balloon at the size of the swimming pool. Um, But I still gave, I still held my own and I stayed professional and I gave everything I did and I didn't waver from what I do and what I do well. Um, and literally people were coming at me going, your part of the talk was amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> otherwise if I'd got swallowed up into that negative karma that was in the room, I'd have just fallen flat on my face, but I didn't. I, I stayed true to myself, um, and and just kind of made my way through it. But yeah, that one didn't go to plan. You will not my before. <laughs>
0: Fantastic. I think um, was it. It wasn't a Christmas uh, do, was it?
1: No, no, it wasn't. It was. It wasn't. I can't say too much about it. It wasn't <laughs> that long ago, um, and it, it was. It was carnage, um, but it was a great organization and a great event that they held on just their MC um, wasn't so clever. So uh, yeah, unfortunately it's, uh, it, it it was difficult. It was difficult.
0: <laughs> and shows what an important job the MC does as well in terms Absolutely. of keeping the audience. So, right. Brilliant. Okay. Um, what's the book that's had the most impact on your life and why?
1: Oh, see, this is, this is probably one of the hardest questions you'll ever give me, right? Because I don't read um, I'm very severely neurodiverse, so I don't read really or write very well. Um, and as a result, I tend, I tend not to read that much. Um, but I have read um, Bear Grylls' books. Uh, I've read more. Um, and and I love those books because they, they're so much more real. And one of the things I like about Bear is, is he has this facade of being this hard man, kind of doing stuff, crazy stuff. And actually, deep down, he's a big believer in fate. Um, I'm not religious but I believe in faith and I really I love the fact that it doesn't matter what he's doing he keeps that with him and one of my big things is always keep your faith whatever that faith is you know if it's if coffee is what gives you faith in the morning to get you out of bed then drink coffee if if the good Lord Jesus Christ is what gives you faith to get you going in life then then I'll, I'll believe in that you know I, I know people who have lost faith children and family men and they turned to, to to the church and that's gone through it. And I'm completely with that. Um, I believe in, you know, it, it, I believe in the prayer of the Muslim prayer because that gives them that mind space. And I get that. I believe in faith. So beer grills really touches that kind of pinnacle. You've got to keep the faith, whatever that faith looks like. And I love that. So his books have always had an impact on me. Um, but one of the main ones was a, a book by a lady called Beverly Jones called Made It Through the Rain. Which talks about burnout. And um, uh, and I I Beverly's a friend of mine, uh, and it took me six years uh to pluck up the courage to read this book. Um, because I didn't want to think of her in pain. And I read it, and actually I it made me really think about my own journey in life as well. So yeah, that was those those. Hopefully that answers the question a little bit.
2: Absolutely. Long-drawn <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. answer. <laughs> that's
0: all right, That's no, that's fine. We'll put a link to that book in the show notes as well. Okay, penultimate question. What's the best bit of business advice you've had and why?
1: Best bit of business advice, I would say, would be to listen to your gut. Uh, listen to everybody else, what they've got to say, but fundamentally it's your business. We spend so much time doing what everyone else tells us we should do that we don't stop and do what we want to do. Um, and this is something that we're trying to implement a bit more into our own business, right? Um, but one of the things we do very, very well is celebrate the little wins. We worry so much about the end goal, where we need to be, where we need to be, where we need to be. We don't stop sometimes and look at where we come from.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and one of the things that we try and do in our own business is to celebrate the small wins. Because it's the little wins that make up the big wins. And it's that old saying that your man used to say look after the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves. Look after the little wins and the big wins will happen.
0: Like that, like that. Well, it's new, you've just created a new bit of advice there. Look at that. They better. like that, that one.
1: Comes, that comes with a price, that person. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. Right. Last question then, Jamie, and then I will set you free. Um, if you could have one mentor and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non fictional, who would you choose and why?
1: Okay, well, this is this is a strange actually because I've got an amazing mentor, and his name's Mark Wright. Um, he was the winner of 2014 Apprentice Winner. Uh, he's an amazing guy, he's younger than me. Um, uh, but I always look up to him. Um, he's he's the guy I look up to in business. I don't always take his advice and what he says, but I've always invested into, into him, and he will and as in return, he invests back into me, which is which is always a lovely mutual relationship. So for me, um, my mentor is Mark Wright. Uh, and he was, and I think he'll be my mentor for a long time to come because I love his value on how he deals with stuff. And he's, he's very black and white with things. He's severely dyslexic like myself um, and he's made it. He's worth millions um, and he's successful in many aspects of his life. Of his goals of his achievements and i've got a lot of time for that so yeah my my mentor is very much alive uh, he's just sold um his business uh, climb online uh, he was the most successful apprentice winner of all times uh, and i'm very fortunate to be, to be able to call him a friend so yes mark right
0: excellent okay we'll we'll i'll put a link to so people can have a nose at him in the show notes as well um jamie thank you so much for coming on the show for sharing everything that you've shared today I'm sure that a lot of people are going to get value out of it in different ways I think it's going to be um it's going to be interesting to see what the reaction will be I think so thank you for that
2: okay, a um, lot, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now if people want to find out about you to speak or see no bounds or just connect with you where's the best places for them to go to do that
1: So I'm on everywhere, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, or X, whatever it's called now, Um, email, I'm everywhere. If you want to find me, uh, just literally type my name into Google, all right? Uh, And you will track me down. Uh, I'm like the first 50 pages of Google. You can't really get get away from me. I've got several speaking agents. And again, if you type my name in, you'll find me. If you want to contact me directly, my email is jamie at cnobounds.co.uk. Um, And the business is cnobalance.co.uk. And my own brand is jamiemcancher.com. So you can find me in any of those forums, uh, feel free to reach out. Always happy to connect. Always happy to chat.
0: Smashing. Thank you again. Um, Is there anything else that you feel you need to say in order to call this interview complete?
1: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Like that. Take it easy, Jamie. Look after yourself.
1: You too. Thanks so much. Take care. Goodbye.
0: Wow. I couldn't believe it when I discovered all those things had happened to Jamie. It certainly brings everything into perspective. You know, some of the things that I worry about, you know, in the context of everything that happened to him, you know, not to diminish the things that challenge us on a daily basis and, you know, in our lives. But, you know, it it, it could be worse. <laughs> Well, I hope you got value, insight and inspiration from this interview. And if you did, it would be amazing if you could let Jamie know. He's on LinkedIn, as you heard everywhere, all over the place. Um, And also do go and check out See No Bounds because it might be useful for you if you're building your network. And if you have an organisation and you're looking for a speaker to inspire your audience then do check out Jamie's speaker page too. Okay, well, before we wrap up, don't forget to check out the Hookology workshop I mentioned at the start of the show. That's at saraharcher.co.uk slash hookology if you want to get your audience leaning in and hanging on your every word. Okay, well, thanks again for choosing to listen to The Speaking Club. And if you got value, love it if you take a couple of minutes to leave an honest rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash tsc or wherever you're listening i'll catch you next time but until then you know what i'm gonna say don't forget to go out grab your life by the nuts and get cracking bye bye